Good morning, everyone. This is Pastor Troy Bond with the Raven Institute of Ministry and Biblical Studies. Coming to you live from our studios right here in Daytona Beach, Florida. Good to have everyone here today. If you're joining us for the very first time, this is the Raven Institute of Ministry and Biblical Studies, which is a ministry of Raven Ministries International. If you want more information on Raven Ministries International, please go to our website. It can be found at www.biggrace.com. Dot com. Deb, if you're watching this live today, is right there on the screen, B-I-G-G-R-A-C-E dot com. You can go in there and check out the ministry of Raven Ministries International. It's not just what you see here today in, in, or listening here today in regards to the uh, teaching ministry, but uh, really we have people all across the United States, Canada, Mexico that are doing tremendous work for the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're really a network of believers who are determined to, to disciple people and to go out and change the world through the preaching of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, not a lot of bells and whistles, folks. I mean, we're just pretty much cut and dry. We believe that uh, the preaching of the cross is to those that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved, it's the power of God. And so we keep it all pretty close to the vest. Whatever we're teaching, preaching on, we try to run it through the shadow of the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because, folks, you know, Paul the Apostle, educated guy, gives his uh, kind of his credentials there in Philippians chapter 3. But uh, in uh, 1 Corinthians 2, 2, he says, you know what, I'm determined not to know anything but Christ and him crucified. And so when we're teaching on things, regardless of what they are, whether our Romans teaching or, or some other teaching like we're doing now, all of those things have got to be filtered through the, the preaching of the cross. Because without the cross, none of these other things have much value to it. So we're here Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. until 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time for an expository teaching in the Word of God. And our goal is, is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. We don't want to just fill your head up with a lot of neat Bible knowledge. That way you can win a trivia contest at your church youth group or uh, at senior night or whatever it is. We want to be able to equip you that you can be more effective in leading people to the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we just began uh, a study on the book of the Revelation or the unveiling of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we, we spent the last 19 classes uh, really looking at those first three chapters, which kind of deal with the... Uh, uh, the unveiling of Christ over the, the period of the ages, so, uh, beginning in, uh, at the birth of the church uh, and leading all the way up to the Laodicean age. We've covered all of those church periods uh, uh, from Ephesus all the way to Laodicea and, and looked at how God dealt with them and, and kind of the, the commendations and the condemnations uh, over the, the, the last uh, 2,000 years leading up to this moment that we're at right now in our study in this book. If you've not been with us in the past, go to our website. And it's www, once again, biggrace.com. Click on Raven Institute, and you'll see a little embedded uh, player, a little MP3 player there. And you can actually download the previous classes. Probably, I think, 15 of those are actually on there right now. You can do that, and some more will be up this coming week. Um, and download those free of charge, your MP3 player. There's no copyright on those. Take them, burn them onto a disc, whatever you'd like to do. They are there on that for your study. If you have questions concerning the study, and sometimes you do, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, my uh, my rapidity, if I could use that word of speaking, sometimes it's pretty fast. And I know people say, man, I'm getting cramps from writing so much stuff down. If, if there's something that kind of buzzes past you and you need to ask a question, please do not hesitate to send an email out. And I'll get on that just as quick as I can. Send that to Raven, R-A-V-N, at BigGrace.com, Raven at BigGrace.com, and I'll answer your questions. If it has to do with the class, and I think that maybe somebody else missed it as well, hey, we'll, we'll answer that question right here live on the program. If it's a, a question about something else in the Bible that you just want somebody else's uh, vantage point or uh, some input on, hey, send those to me as well. I'll be glad to look at those for you and, and help out in any way that I possibly can. And maybe you can help me out as well. Maybe you've got some insight on something that, that I passed by that would be good for the people to know. I'd love to, to hear that as well. We don't pl- uh, claim or believe that we have the end all there all. We just know what God's entrusted us with. And we just want to be faithful to communicate it and, and share it with those that would desire to know more about the Word of God. So thank you again for being a part of this. If you have prayer requests, send those. Devs put that on the screen. Pray at BigGrace.com. We want to pray for you and believe God for your healing, your miracle, your breakthrough, uh, understanding, whatever it may be, uh, difficulties with your kids, family, marriage. We want to pray and believe God. We believe that we serve a God who is still able to heal, to, to deliver, to, to, to redeem, to restore, to provide for, uh, because we've seen it in our own lives. And as uh, John uh, said in, in 1 John 1, you know, we testify of those things we've both seen and heard. And we've seen him do it. We've heard him do it. And we're, we're the recipients of his promises and the benefactors of his uh, his power in our life. And so we just praise God for that. Thank you so much for joining us here today. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Just ask for his, his blessing this time. We're going to dive into some stuff. And I was going to kind of give you a kind of a preemptive uh, explanation on this before we pray. 
when we we're going to be looking at this fourth chapter of the book of Revelation, we'll probably spend we could spend the upwards of two or three class periods on this. I don't want to uh, get in too big of a hurry on it because there's a lot that kind of lays the groundwork. The way that you look at, I want to say this right off the bat, the way that that we view chapter four is going to influence the way that we look at chapters five through eighteen specifically. And so we I've really got to lay some fabric on this. Uh, for you to, to build around and to establish a, kind of a, a line of thinking on it. So chapter 4, just kind of get uh, get right now conditioned to dig in, get your heels in the ground, and get ready uh, for a lot to kind of be said and, and revealed, and that's going to provide for a basis for the rest of our discussion in this. So, Father, we just thank you for this day. We just thank you for your son, Jesus. And we just thank you, Lord God, that, that you are unveiling yourself. And, Lord God, sometimes when it's unveiling, I think about the Scripture, Lord Jesus, when, when you revealed yourself, uh, Lord God, on the Mount of Transfiguration. Lord God, it was overwhelming to the degree that your disciples, Lord God, fell. When you revealed yourself at your resurrection, Lord God, it says that the, the guards fell like dead men. When you revealed yourself to John in chapter 1, he fell like a dead man. Lord God, I, I can't speak for anyone else, but I can speak to me. Lord God, sometimes when you just begin to, to reveal yourself, it is, it's so overwhelming. And it's almost the, the weight of your presence and of your glory, Lord God, is, is, feels crushing at times, Lord God, to our flesh. And so, Lord God, we just ask you, Lord God, to hold us up and to, to give us the strength to endure, Lord God. We don't want to be weary in well-doing, but we want to, Lord God, reap, Lord God, the benefits of this revelation. And we know we'll do it if we do not faint, Lord God. So, Father, help us to, to, to be uh, uh, focused upon you, Lord God, to look to you to our strength and our provision and our power and in our uh, understanding, Lord God. Let it be quickened by the Holy Spirit. We know that we're going to be seeing and reading and, and, and understanding things, Lord God, that can only be ascertained as we set our mind and our affections upon you, Lord God. We've got to have the mind of Christ on this because this is Christ revealed, Lord God, the hope of glory. And so we need to see your vantage point, your perspective, Lord God. Don't let us try to see these things, Lord God, through the mind or the understanding of carnality or past experiences or anything, Lord God. We need something fresh. We know, Lord God, when we think differently, Lord God, when we repent, Lord God, as Acts 3 and 19 says, and are converted, Lord God, turn to you, that times of refreshing will come from the presence of the Lord, come from that revelation or that unveiling of who you are. And so we need to be refreshed. We need to be built up. We need to be restored. So, Father, we pray for that, that we, we've got to have, Lord God, a grasp and an understanding of your word in this late hour, Lord God, in, in human history. So, Father, as we pray, Lord God, we also pray for those that are sick, those, God, that are struggling, Lord God, those that are just facing some needs. Father, we know that, that they say that, that, that depression is at its peak, Lord God, this time of year with the holidays, that people are separated from family or just there's lack, Lord God. And we, we think about, Father, just a worldwide economic crisis. And so many people, Lord God, put their, their stock in what they have in their pockets or in their bank account, Lord God, rather than the treasure that they have in heaven. So, Father, we pray for those. We pray, Lord God, for even those that are just sincere believers that just struggle this time of year, Lord God, for one reason or another. We ask that you would hold them up, Lord God. And we, we hold them up, Lord God. Like like uh, Aaron and her grabbing the hands of Moses, Lord God, in the face of the battle. We, we hold up the hands of our brothers and sisters that are struggling uh, physically. We hold the hands up of our brothers and sisters, Lord God, that are struggling with jobs or layoffs, Lord God, or, or some other crisis, maybe a family problem, a marriage difficulty. We hold their hands up, Lord God, right now in faith, believing, Lord God, for a breakthrough, Lord God. And, and Father, even as they did, they, they took the, the, uh, Aaron and uh, her, Lord God, they took and they, they put a rock and they set Moses on it. Father, we, we bring in the rock of your word here today, Lord God, and we want to set your people down upon a rock and lift up their hands, Lord God, that they might look up, Lord God, for their redemption draws nigh. We just believe you, Lord God, today for miracles, for understanding, for your empowerment. I pray for those that need jobs. Father, just open up the door, Lord God. Those that need provision, do it supernaturally, Lord God. Father, I know that you, the things that you want to do, Lord God, are so awesome, so powerful, Lord God, that a man wouldn't believe it if the day even declared it, Lord God. And so, Father, we're believing that we serve a supernatural God, Lord God, that provides supernaturally, Lord God, for every area of our lives. So we pray for each one that has a need here today and just ask for your blessing upon them, your touch, your ministry, your revelation, your unveiling, Lord God, to each one of us. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen, amen, and amen. If you're slipping in joining us, this is the Raven Institute of Ministry and Biblical Studies, and we are studying the book of the Revelation. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and flip over to the fourth chapter of our study in this unveiling. Um, it, it's kind of, you know, when I get to the fourth chapter, I get kind of giddy. You know, it kind of it just brings this uh, total uh, expectancy to me. So what we're about to do, though, folks, 
We're about to enter a portion of the revelation of Jesus Christ that, that it, it's really exciting, but it's also very controversial at the same time. It, it's exciting from the aspect of, of really what it presents and promises to the church, and secondly, controversial because of the great debate that really has gone on within the, the, the church concerning the meaning and the timing of this chapter. And so, uh, exciting, controversial, uh, man, that's where I like to walk in. That's where I like to roll. I like to roll in the exciting and within the controversial. So if that's what you're wanting, that's where we're at today. And you know, in regards to, you know, folks, those that adhere to some form of uh, biblical teaching on a, on a rapture or a resurrection of the believers, uh, however people want to term it, you know, there's really three uh, kind of typical prevailing schools of thought. I'm going to go and just kind of share those, the, kind of the, the basis of those. As we get started, number one, if, if people that believe in a, in a rapture or a resurrection, uh, typically they're one of three categories. Number one, pre-trib or pre-tribulation. I'll use the word trib a lot just so I don't have to say tribulation. Pre-trib basically believe that the church will be taken away or, or taken out before the start of the great tribulation, before the start of the tribulation or great tribulation. Uh, or or a sev- that seven-year period that's been assigned to, to for God to, to deal with Israel and bring them back to the understanding of Him. The second thing is uh, mid-trib, those that believe that the church will endure the first three and a half years of this tribulation period. They'll be there for the first three and a half years of tribulation. Then there's the post-trib that believe the church will endure the totality of the tribulation. And in the, the post-tribs, basically, they don't see a difference between the, the quote-unquote rapture of the church and the, 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 the full revelation that we'll read when we get to, to chapter 19. They just see this as one kind of blending event. You know, myself, going back in some history, you know, I know in the early 70s, there was really kind of a renaissance, so to speak, or of sorts, regarding the preaching and teaching on the coming of the Lord and more specifically on the rapture. I remember men such as like Hal Lindsey, when he came out with the late great planet Earth, and that that was that book was just a a runaway bestseller, not just in the Christian audience, but it was also in the secular market. It was the New York Times bestsellers, and it stayed there for a long time, and and people bought it and read it, and it was uh, turned not too long after that turned into a a movie and a feature film. Some of you guys may even remember the 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 movies that were shown in a lot of uh, youth groups and shown in churches on Saturday nights called the Thief in the Night series. You had the Thief in the Night and uh, talking about the rapture, and they had the, a distant thunder and the, the, the mark of the beast. It was like a series of four or five. You can actually get those movies on, on DVD right now in, in Christian bookstores. But that was real popular, and they just coming out with these, these movies. Uh, David Wilkerson wrote a book called The Vision that if you haven't ever read it, you need to get it because a lot of the things that were that David Wilkerson wrote then in The Vision are coming to pass right now, and you'll see it just in vivid detail. And so, you know, the, the, the decade of the 70s, as I said, really kind of was a, a decade where the church was was brought back to the what Second Timothy uh, what four eight says about the loving of his appearing. The church was brought back to that, and I remember people talking about it and gathering together with an expectancy. You know, there would be prayer groups and people would come together and they would think that you know any minute the trump would sound and they'd be caught up. And so there was a great anticipation. And what I saw even as a as a kid in that day, uh, people would gather. There there wasn't this. Uh, this prevailing mentality of, of, uh, of get what you can get and all these things. It was, there was an anticipation within the church that Jesus could come back any time. And folks, I got news for you. Jesus can come back at any time. And he is nearer my salvation than when I, when I first believed. And so it was that time. But what happened is, is out of that decade of the 70s where there was such an anticipation. You know, you think about the events that were going on in the world in the early 70s. You know, that was the tail end of the Vietnam War. That was the issues. I'm talking about mainly this nation that, that we're, we broadcast from. You, you saw a uh, our president, Richard Nixon, resigning from office after the Watergate scandal. You saw all this energy crises and, and the, uh, uh, Gerald Ford and uh, Jimmy Carter. All these things. You saw the Iranian hostage situation. A lot of these, these birth pains began to happen, but in the midst of it, there was this great talk about the, the coming Lord Jesus Christ. Then something happened. What happened is what we talked about in our, in our previous classes on that Laodicean age, something began to happen and that, that, that Laodicean gospel of excess crept back in and really was reintroduced to the church. It had been there, and, and it laid kind of dormant. Then all of a sudden, as soon as people began to focus on the return of the Lord Jesus Christ... 
that, that gospel of excess came back in. And in the 80s, what happened, there, there ceased to be an urgency uh, really to prepare for the return of Jesus Christ, but rather there was this new effort towards some type of really Christian capitalism, if I can use that term, that was fueled by this uh, mega ministries, get rich quick, uh, name it, claim it groups that really placed more attention on building a kingdom for man rather than preparing for the kingdom of God. And so it, it, it gave way. And so men, rather than preparing and looking for a, a treasure in heaven, there became this thing about how can we get it? The health and the wealth, the name it, the claim it, and the television ministries boomed. What's interesting about that, if you can go back and, and look at, at church growth uh, patterns and, and uh, mega churches specifically in the 70s, there were very few. There were a few churches that were... There were 10,000, there were some 5,000, but for the most part, what you saw in it, and you drive away most, in most neighborhoods, you, you, it was the, the time of the neighborhood church. There were churches everywhere. Even today, you'll see churches in every corner that got 20 or 30 people. When they were built, many times that wasn't the case. But what happened is when it became this great Christian capitalism, we talked about this with the Laodicean age. Laodicean age, with, with, uh, in the early 1900s, with the Industrial Revolution, rather than things being spread out into rural communities, everything began, be, uh, became centralized into urban centers. Folks, when the, when the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ is not focused on, that's exactly what happens. People began to, to, to come to, uh, to an urban center, and that urban center in the 80s began to become the church. What's interesting about that is when the coming of the Lord uh, is, 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 is really preeminent in our thoughts, it, it, it does it. It's, it. It brings us out and it causes us to go out on the highways and hedges and begin to proclaim that Jesus Christ is coming. When we are built around self, we're going to a central place. It's kind of like going to Walmart or to Sam's or these big box stores where I can just get everything that I need in one place. You know what, folks? 35 years ago, that wasn't the case. You had to, if you wanted clothing, you went to a clothing store. If you wanted groceries, you went to a grocery store. If you wanted medicine, you went to the pharmacy. No more. Why? Because it's the whole Laodicean mentality of this Christian capitalism. Let me just bring everything there. I can get my coffee. I can get my donut. I can get my entertainment. And I can get a little Bible at church. And so it took the focus away from everything. And, and, and so it kind of introduced uh, that capitalism in. Then there was kind of this, this sort of, I'll call it a sort of reintroduction of end times teaching. And some of you remember it popularized by this whole Left Behind series. There was this great gap, this chasm, and people were kind of teaching everything else from deliverance to how do I get rich or how do I get healthy. Then all of a sudden, Tim LaHaye and Jerry Jenkins wrote this book called Left Behind, which just like Hal Lindsey's book in the early 70s became a runaway bestseller. And what's interesting, though, about it when I look at it is that it really didn't create a buzz for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ as one might expect. And so you have to ask yourself a question. If somebody's talking about the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, if they're talking about the rapture, if they're talking about left behind, shouldn't it create an urgency in the body of Christ? But, you know, as I look back at it now, 10 years after the fact, when those things were introduced, and even before that, where, where's the buzz for the Lord Jesus Christ? Where's the call to prayer? Where's the call to holiness? Where's the call to go and tell people, listen, he's about to split open the eastern skies, and we've got to make straight our paths, that whole John the Baptist type of, of mentality. What's interesting about that, folks, is that series, that Left Behind series, was produced in kind of a you know multi-book format. I, I never read uh, but maybe ten pages of the first one, uh, but you know you had the the le uh, the, the Left Behind and uh, all these other. Ones. I can't even remember what the names of them are. Some of you probably have read them. And what it did, it it, it really kind of chronicled this tribulatory plight of some, some fictionalized characters, and I think one was an airline pilot, and all these different things that were going on in this. Then it even brought about Left Behind kids. And so these kids were, were had this kind of this covert kind of secret agent society that was functioning. And I, I think what happened, and some of you guys have read that. My, my daughter's probably got uh, the whole series of that and really enjoyed reading it. But I think the reason that it failed to create kind of a buzz or a sense of urgency is because it kind of had this, this novella approach or a novel, kind of like a, a, a dime store uh, uh, approach to, to science fiction. And so rather than becoming a, a series of books that, that uh, focused on the revelation of Jesus. Now think about that. I, I've told you from the beginning, the revelation, the book of the revelation is the unveiling of Jesus. 
These, this series, the Left Behind series, it had nothing to do with uh, re- revealing Jesus. It had something to do with this clandestine operation that was trying to function and get around this, this governmental type of situation. It came into that. They created the, the movies, the Left Behind 1, 2, and 3, Tribulation Force. And so what it did, it trivialized to a great degree what this book is all about. And so rather than focusing on who Jesus is, bringing it back to holiness, authority, power, an urgency to go preach the gospel, it became basically a, a, the, the born identity or, or 007, and it became that type of, of philosophy. And so it didn't put people on their knees crying out in anticipation of the sound of the trumpet, but instead it left readers with this kind of a cliffhanger and ex- uh, with, a, uh, with the idea of when's the next book coming out. Folks, the book has already come out. You see what I'm saying? I don't have to go and wait for the cliffhanger or something else. I can go to the end of the book and I can see what he's going to come for, who he's going to come for, and what he's going to do. And so what happened is people weren't clamoring to get into the 66 books of the Scripture. They were looking for the 66 books of Tim and Tim LaHaye and, and Jerry Jenkins series. So what happened? Okay, what I was saying is, folks, really, what happened is with all these things, it became a, a kind of a dumbing down, so to speak, of the of the message of the rapture of the church. And, and through all of these mediums, mediums, and once again, what it did, it brought to fulfillment uh, really what the Scripture says. It says, you know, from the time of our fathers and previous generations, everybody says that he's coming back. And, you know, we got all these books that are coming about it, but the tribulation, so he's really not coming back. That's just a, a dime store novel. That's just a, a science fiction book. And so it's, it's, it really doesn't have its impact. I, I'm sure, and I'm, I'm, I guarantee Tim LaHaye, Jerry Jenkins did not have that expectancy when those things come back. They thought maybe it'd stir people, but it really had a, a, a flip side effect. And so what it has created is a, a dulling of any expectancy and really open wide the door to the teaching such as the kingdom now or, or dominionism theology that really teaches that the church must somehow kind of take control so that Jesus can then come back and assume the throne which we've established for him. And, and you see really a, a prevalence in that teaching. People teach that, you know, we, because Jesus is delayed, oh, what he must have expect us to do, now we've got to get into the political arena, we've got to get into the, uh, the positions of power and of government and industry and capitalism, and some, somehow we're going to take over and we're going to show them that Christianity is the way to go, then we're going to say, okay, come on Jesus, you can come be a part. That's, that is really what these type of environments have created. They've created just a, a dumbing down, a, a numbing effect that, you know what, well, I know he's going to, uh, you say he's going to come, but is he really going to come? And so what we're going to do is do an overview kind of this chapter today and kind of an introduction to the issue of the term rapture and, and then get into some, uh, some really some vivid details uh, uh, in the next uh, class or two. Something interesting, and write this down in your notes. Sixteen times in the first three chapters, sixteen times in the first three chapters, the church is mentioned. Sixteen times. Then you get to chapter four through eighteen, which deals very in very detailed format the the, the teaching regarding the, the tribulation. Sixteen times the church is mentioned in the first three chapters. Guess how many times it's mentioned in those chapters four through eighteen? Zero. Zero. Three chapters sixteen. Over five times a piece, five point what? Three, three, three times a piece. Then you got these chapters that are specifically dealing with this that it's not mentioned even one time. And so there's there's a reason for that, and we're going to find it. But I want to read this fourth chapter to you this morning to kind of set the, the tone for what it is. And we're going to kind of get into some of these things. And over the next day or so, I want to look at some really some neat things uh, in regards to the fourth chapter. It says, After this I looked and beheld a door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was it were a trumpet talking with me and said, Come up hither, and I will show you things which must be hereafter. And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And he that sat on the, on the throne looks like jasper and sardine stone, and there was a rainbow around about the throne in sight like unto an emerald. And round about the throne were four and twenty seats, and the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting clothed with white raiment that had on their heads crowns of gold. And out of the thrones proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was a sea of glass like unto crystal. And in the midst of the throne, round about the throne, there were four beasts full of eyes before and behind. And the first beast was like a lion, and the second beast like a calf. And the third beast had the faces of a man, and the fourth beast was like a flying eagle. Some of you are going, boy, this is getting interesting. 
And the four beasts had each of them six wings and, and with them, and they were full of eyes within. And the rest, uh, uh, they rested not day or night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. And when these beasts give glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the four and the twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that lives forever and ever. And they cast their crowns before the Lord, uh, before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you have created all things, and they are for your pleasure that they were created. And so here we go. Think about, think about this just for a second. Here we have the Apostle John. Now, guys, the, the Apostle John was just like you and I from the aspect of, you know, uh, lived a life, uh, loved God, loved Jesus, had that relationship. All of a sudden, here this guy is, and understand where we're coming from. Here he is uh, exiled on the, on the Isle of Patmos for his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, put into basically a, a prison mining island. He, he's left there, and all of a sudden, boom, God get, begins to show him some things. You know, we, we looked at the picture that he had through the church ages. And, and now, let me just give you, some of you guys, we talked about uh, uh, the, the, the movie The Time Machine or the book The Time Machine and H.G. Uh, 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 Wells' his, his book and, and all these people going into things. Maybe you've seen a, a kind of a, a movie or a cinematic uh, type of production of those. And, you know, people are seeing just flashes of that. And so here you go, all of a sudden, John's seeing this period of the church age. He's seeing Ephesus. He's seeing Smyrna. He's seeing Pergamos and, and Thyatira. And he's seeing Laodicea. He's seeing all these things transpire, which kind of are normal, you know, but he's, he's looking at things progressively as they're changing. Certainly, you know, his culture, his way he's seeing things, the way he's dressed, everything else is one thing. But he's seeing a, a picture of those church ages on earth as things unfold. And I'm sure those things were overwhelming enough for him. But can you imagine all of a sudden you're giving through something that's basis and it's a picture of what's going on in, on earth that you can somehow relate to it. Then all of a sudden, boom. You're seeing four beasts with seven eyes. You, you see what I'm saying? And can you imagine the overwhelming nature of this revelation that, that he received? And so you guys, here I am talking, and I, obviously I talk pretty quick. And you're thinking, man, it, it's tough for me to record. Can you imagine what this guy was going through? Can you imagine what John the Revelator was saying? You know, God, you're going to have to bring these things back to my remembrance that I write these things down. Because just the, 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 the picture... So what does that tell me, folks? That just shows me that Theonoustos, that God-breathed word, that God breathed unto him, and he had to breathe it out into this written text that, that we call the canon of Scripture today. So it, it's, it's powerful to me just you know putting myself and trying to, 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 to place myself in a place of understanding of what he must have been experiencing, how he saw those things, boom, caught up into heaven. And so I want to I talk about just something just for a second. We'll kind of look at verse 1 a little bit today. The whole issue of this rapture. I want to I read a, a scripture to you from the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verse 3. The Gospel of John, chapter 14, verse 3. Do you realize that there's people who uh, claim to be believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, claim to be followers of Him, claim to love God, who actually believe that when you die, it's it, it's over? They just believe that you just, you just pretty much just enter a place of perpetual unconsciousness. They, they really teach that. Where's the hope? Where's the belief? You even see that with the followers of people like, like say, I'll give you an example, like the Jehovah Witnesses. The Jehovah Witnesses believe if you're not a Jehovah Witness, if you're not part of that company, that when you die, you just go into a, a perpetual soul sleep. They believe basically in annihilation, that you're just, if you're evil, you're just gone. And so they take away that, that blessed hope. Folks, the scripture tells us, and, and as I look at this and I see the four and twenty elders casting their crowns, we're warned and we brought this up. He tells us, don't let any man take your crown. What crown? Well, the crown of righteousness laid up for all those that love his appearing. Folks, do not let anyone, I don't care if, it, if like Paul said in Galatians chapter 1, I don't care if it's an angel in heaven, I don't care if it's me, I don't care who it is, don't let anybody bring a gospel that robs you of that crown, that await that crown of righteousness for those that, that love the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so John 14.3 says this. Here's Jesus speaking. He says, And I go, and he said, I prepare a place for you. And he said, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am you may be also. Folks, listen. 
at the Lord's ascension, and you can also see that, that same uh, uh, phraseology, same experience in the first chapter of the book of Acts. But at the Lord's ascension into heaven, it, it says in Acts, it says that there were two men right there in, in white raiment. And, and they said to the people, they said, listen, you men of Galilee, why do you stand up uh, looking into heaven? It says, do you not know that the same Jesus, which is taken up from you, shall so come in like manner, and you will uh, have seen him going, just as you've seen him going to heaven? In other words, listen, I'm telling you, he's being, how was Jesus? He was taken up or snatched up, okay? And he's saying, do you not know that, that you're going to see a repeat of that? And you too are going to experience that again? Folks, the reason I bring these things up is when you study the Word of God, when you look at the, the, the pre-trib, the mid-trib, the post-trib, wherever you're going to stand, what you need to do, and, and really, for me, which one you, you want to adhere to, it don't really make a whole lot of difference to me anyway, uh, because what's going to happen is going to happen. You need to build a preponderance of evidence. You know, I tell people all the time, we've got to keep things in context. We've got to allow Scripture to, to interpret Scripture. If you don't have Bible, you don't have anything. We've got to always say, okay, what is the, the preponderance, or what is the great body of evidence that, that validates something? You know, I can look at different things in Scripture that people have built this on. They've built denominations. They've built... They built false teaching on just some uh, uh, kind of um, ambiguous text that they pull out and they want to make it mean what they want to. You know, for an example, you know, you'll have pastors preaching. They're taking up the offering. They say, give and it will be given unto you. Press down, shaken together, running over. They pull it out of context. That's talking about the mercy of God. It's talking about the, not talking about the, the money of man. And so we've got to build a preponderance of biblical evidence around anything. And so the promise of the second coming of the, the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, our blessed Lord Jesus, is clearly established throughout the, the, the Word of God. Paul the Apostle made this matter clear when he wrote it to Titus. He said uh, his own son after the common faith in Titus 1.4. And he said when he wrote, look what he said in, in Titus 2.13. He said, looking for this is Titus 2.13. He said, looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so Paul is establishing that, yes, this is going to happen. And so we need to establish, yes, the Scripture says it's going to happen. Then what we're going to look at is when it's going to happen. Philippians 3.20 and 21. For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ who shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able to subdue all things unto himself. Okay, people have an issue with when you talk about rapture. Pardon? Because rapture, the word rapture is not in the Bible. i got news for you folks. The word Bible is not in the Bible. Matter of fact, any of these English words that we're throwing around here today are not in the Bible. The Bible was not written in English and so, if I say love, that, that, the word love is not in the Bible. It's the word agape, agapo, and different variations of the word phileo. And so, those words are not in the Bible. So, if I discount an event based uh, solely upon the fact that there's not an English word, folks, what I've done is I've eliminated the whole book. And so, I've come to the point is where, where are those meanings or where are those ideologies derived from? Where does it come? Where, we study the end times, eschatology. Eschatology is not in the scripture. We study about Jesus. The word J-E-S-U-S is not in the scripture. If I want to be proper and, and pronounce it in the Hebrew dialect, I'm going to use Yeshua. I'm not going to have uh, 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 vowels in his name. You see what I'm saying? And so we've got to look at, once again, the preponderance of biblical evidence and build that upon the foundation. And so he tells us there in Philippians 20, he says, listen, our conversation is in heaven. He says, we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will change our vile body, may be fashioned like unto his glorious body. I want to go back into, once again, the whole John 14 and the Acts chapter 1. How is that going to happen? It's going to happen at that ascension. That, that mortality is going to put on immortality. That which is, 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 uh, can, can die, that which cannot be changed, is going to be changed in a moment and in a twinkling eye. Then it goes on to say, he says, he is able to do our things. And then in Colossians 3, 4, he says, Paul wrote, When Christ, who is our, our life, shall appear, then we will appear with him in his glory. Okay? When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then we shall appear with him in his glory. I want you to put in your notes, write down, remember Philippians 3.20 and remember Colossians 3.4. Remember Philippians 3.20. Remember Colossians 3.4. Okay? I mentioned to you that in uh, 
we, we talked about it. We just barely talked about it. We're talking about the church at Laodicea. The church at Laodicea was told to what? To read Colossians. Yes. To read that. Why? Because the Laodicean age of the church is the age that's going to witness Colossians 3.4. You see it? When Christ, who is our life, will appear, we shall appear with Him in glory. Now, listen. What does it say? We shall appear with Him. Okay? I want to establish something real quick. There's these two events that are separated within the framework of biblical history. There's the event called the rapture. Write that down. Then there's an event called the revelation. Rapture. Revelation. The rapture is the snatching away, the catching away, the drawing together of the church. Okay? Of the church. And we'll get into a lot of this in more detail as we progress through these, these next chapters. The, the revelation is what you're going to see in Revelation chapter 19 at the end of the, uh, the seven-year tribulation period. Which is, and I could get into that when it begins to describe who he is. It says his eyes were as a flame of fire, etc. You can go to that after the class and look at it. Pardon? Yeah. He comes and he establishes himself. The rapture is a catching away. The revelation of Christ is when the literal, called the, another term for it is called the second advent. The second advent. Now, folks, the rapture is for the, the church. It's for the bride. The second advent is for the nation of Israel that he made an eternal covenant with through Abraham, okay? We've got a new covenant, a new and living way that we get to be the beneficiaries of the first covenant, but we have a new and living way through Christ Jesus. When the Jews rejected Jesus, what they did is they rejected the benefits of that covenant. But God, in his mercy, what does he do? He held off that, and he's going to reveal himself once again, but when he brings the revelation of himself to the, the Jewish nation in Revelation 19, obviously he's not going to be a babe in swaddling clothes and, and, and laid in a manger. He's not going to be the Christmas baby. Okay, He's going to be the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He's going to come with what? He will appear with his church in glory. And so as Philippians 3 is speaking about us who are going to be changed at the rapture, Colossians 3, 4 talks about when we return with him at the revelation to those that are still upon the earth. He can't return with his glory because we're going to be with him in his glory at that point. So I want to kind of distinguish the difference between a rapture and the difference between the revelation. You know, two different, two different events. Folks, I want to say this to you, though. A lot of people who teach uh, against, I don't, I, don't, I don't even know if I want to use that, they, they uh they, they teach uh, mid-trib or they teach a post-trib. They, they, they think that everyone who teaches the rapture of the church according to, to Revelation 4.1 is an escapist. They believe that, oh, well, you're just teaching that you're just going to have to avoid all this. I don't believe that whatsoever. I don't believe that we're going to escape tribulation. I believe that we're going to escape this seven years of tribulation. And I'll get into that in some very vivid detail in the next couple of days. Uh, because in this world, you will suffer tribulation. I can look at the events that are going to unfold with the bowl and the vile judgments that are going to happen. Uh, people are going to lose their life. People are going to be persecuted. They're going to starve. All these things are going to happen. Folks, I've got news for you today. That right now is happening to many churches in the world. Okay, We not, may not be seeing that right now in our nation, but, but hold on tight. Before the, the son of perdition is revealed, this great falling away, all these things, the economic crises and, and these things, they're going to bring more and more of that to this nation. We've, we've been kind of uh, oblivious to it here, and so it's kind of uh, uh, dampered the way that we view things globally, even from a, a, a Christian worldview, because we haven't experienced the same things as the Richard Wormbrands of, 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 of the, uh, when he was in Romania and suffered martyrs for, for Christ and all these type of things. Folks, those things are happening. So do I believe that, that Christians will suffer tribulation and persecution? Absolutely. I believe that that is promised throughout the Word of God. But do I believe that we are appointed or we have an appointment with a time that is specifically established to bring the, 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 the nation of Israel back to Jesus? No, I, I don't believe. And I believe that because of the fact that the church is mentioned, obviously, the, those many times, those 16 times in the first three chapters, and not in chapters 4 through 18, is really indicative of the rapture versus the revelation. So keep that, keep that in mind. And because, like I said, it's, it's exciting, 
But it's controversial because some Christians are just determined they want to go through it. And maybe if you'll pray, he'll let you go through it. You know, uh, I, I want to, I, I want to, I want to skip as much of it as I can. I want to be hidden in him. I want to be the Philippians 3.20 and, and, and the Colossians 3.4, uh, recipients of being able to be in his presence. Now, I want you to look at something else. First Peter chapter 1, verse 7. First Peter chapter 1, verse 7. Obviously, the Apostle Peter, here's what he wrote. He said, The trial of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire, might be found under praise and honor and glory at the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I want to keep that in mind, 1 Peter 1.7. Now, look at 2 Peter 1.11. He wrote, For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I bring that up for those that, that, that believe in there's, that there's nothing to wait for. That just this is your life. Heaven's on earth. Hell's on earth. Whatever you make of it, you, you shall serve God. It's going to be great. If you don't serve God, you're just going to suffer. And by the time it's over, what's it? Do? He tells us this. This is a trial of our faith, folks. When the Son of Man returns, the Scripture says, "Will he find faith on the earth?" Okay. And so the, the reason I don't believe in this escapism is because of Matthew chapter seven that says there's a wide gate. And it leads to destruction, leads to death, and there's a lot of people that are going to enter in. I don't believe when this event that we're talking about in Revelation 4.1 happens, it's going to be as cataclysmic as the Left Behind series says. You know, the Left Behind series, there's whole planes that are vanished and the pilot's gone and all these mass transit comes to a standstill. Folks, I don't believe it's going to involve that many people. I believe that there's a narrow way that leads to life and few there be that find it. I believe that many of these megachurches, you know, if the if the, the rapture of the church happens on Saturday, show, most people, including the pastor, may show up on Sunday. They'll have the same thing. They'll take up the same offering. And those three or four people that were missing from that 30,000-member church, they're going to just think they're on vacation somewhere. I don't think it's going to be the numbers that people say. Why, folks? Because he said he's coming back for a church that's without spot or blemish. He's coming back for a church with faith inside them. What's faith? It's the moral conviction of the truthfulness of God. It's that word pistis in the Greek. And so it's not just somebody that, that lays claim to it. He said, once again, Matthew chapter 7, Not everyone that says unto me, Lord, Lord, shall inherit the kingdom, or the kingdom benefits of Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, or Colossians chapter 3, verse 4, or First Peter chapter 1, verse 7, Second Peter 1, 11. They're not everyone that, that says, Lord, Lord, not everyone that, quote, unquote, goes to church or has the right T-shirt or the bumper sticker or went through First Communion or it's got a big Bible gathering dust on a shelf are going to enter the kingdom. But those that do the will of my Father who is in heaven, many are going to come to me in that day. I prophesied, I cast out devils, I did miracles. He's going to testify to them, I never knew you. I was never intimate with you you that that, that 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 walk in lawlessness. And we talked about lawlessness as we talked about the, the church at, at Laodicea. And so I don't believe it's going to be this great event that everybody's just going to be escapism and, and they're just going to be gone. I believe that, that God is coming back for that, that church, that remnant church that Romans talks about. There isn't a remnant according to the election of grace. What was grace? The divine influence of God upon our heart and the reflection in the life. The influence of God comes through the Holy Spirit, the convicting of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. And what's going to enable us is what uh, comes out, reflects in our life, which is the testimony of Christ Jesus. It's going to be the reflection of holiness. It's going to be the reflection of righteousness. What? Coupled with grace through faith. I believe, therefore I walk in accordance. And, and so if I say I love him and I don't keep his commands, if I don't walk in holiness and righteousness, I'm a liar. And what's going to happen? Revelation 4 1 is going to happen, and I'm not even going to know about it. I may see just a few persons that were holy and walking in righteousness that I don't see anymore, but I'm going to be indifferent towards them. Why? Because life is going to go on. And so I really want to bring that clear that I'm not some escapist. I'm not saying that we're going to eliminate something. Yeah, you're going to go through some issues. You're going to have to confront some things, but this is not specifically for you. Amen. After this, I looked and behold, the door was opened in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was, it were, a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up here, and I will show you things which must come after. Okay, I want to just look at, at, at two words just this morning. Right there, after this. After, after what? Ask yourself the question. He said, after this. Now, you guys that have been with us for the last 19 classes, after this is after all that we've talked about up to this point. Okay? He said, after this. 
After what? After the church age. After this period of time in the church age. We sat down the other day, Deb and I was just kind of writing out some numbers. And uh, you think about this in creation. It says that, that God created the heavens and earth. What, what did he do? He did it in six days and on the seventh day he rested. Okay. We also know from the scripture that a day is like a thousand years. A thousand years is like a day. Now think about this. Adam was created. Okay, He, was, he walked with God in, in the cool of the day. He and, he and Adam and Eve were there. He fell. Okay, But from the time of Adam until the first covenant, do you know how long that was? Right at 2,000 years of, of human history. So we had 2,000 years from Adam, he fell, until, that was called the age of innocence, until he fell, till Abraham, where God began to raise up a people. Then you had Abraham, the first covenant. Now you know who the, 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 the one that brought the second covenant was, the new covenant, was Jesus. Do you know how much time was between Abraham and Jesus? Well, you guessed it. 2,000 years. And so here we got 2,000 years happening. We got four days all together. Now, do you know how long it was between Jesus and basically right now, give or take a, a few years? 2,000 years. And so I've got 2,000 years from Adam to Abraham, first covenant. I've got 2,000 years or two days from the first covenant to the new covenant, Abraham to Jesus. And from Jesus, the church age, until now I've got 2,000 years or two more days. How many days is that? That's six days. Now, and we're going to look at the, the millennial reign, which is a thousand years uh, reign of Christ, a, years, a thousand years of peace uh, before the, the final white throne judgment. That's a thousand years. So I take all those together. What do I get? I get 7,000 years. I get seven days. Folks, listen, God is always consistent. And so if we're looking at when are we living in, what day and age, folks, if I just look at the signs and the times and the seasons that God has provided, we're standing literally on the threshold of eternity. Why? Because we're standing, just give or take a few years, right there at the, the end of that age, that period of time. Here's what's interesting. He promised, and I'll get into a lot of the meanings of this. I don't have a whole lot of time this morning to do it. Times of Jacob's trouble, the 70th week of Daniel. The thing about God is, is God is not a man that he should lie. Even when man fails, God will not fail. God, He said, I am the Lord God in Malachi chapter 3. I do not change. We know that Jesus is the first and, and the last. We know that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so when he makes a promise, his promises are always yes and amen. He says, I watch over my word in which to perform it. He is not a man that he should lie or the son of a man that he should repent. He is long-suffering to us. We're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, even those who rejected that first covenant. So what he's provided is that period of time to bring back the Jews to, that, to their Messiah. How's he going to do that? Well, he's going to do it through all these events that we're going to see chronicled in these next chapters. When the Jews rejected Jesus, they rejected him, according to Daniel, in that 69th week, or that period of time that had been allotted to them short of the 70th week, which was seven days or seven uh, one-year periods. Now, God didn't forget about that. And so here's what happened. When they rejected Jesus and he died upon the cross, it was almost just like a stopwatch hit and click. And it stopped. And he's been holding that stopwatch for 2,000 years. Now, what's keeping the button held down? The presence of the church, the presence of those who are the, the beneficiaries of the new covenant. And so what's going to happen, just like the, you, you, you're running a race and they shoot the starter's pistol or they blow the trumpet to start the race, as soon as that trumpet blast happens in, 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 in Revelation 4.1, the button's going to get hit and it's going to start clicking off. And once again, God's going to begin to deal with the nation of Israel just like he had intended before. Now think about this. As in the days of Noah, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. We're going to be given to marriage. All these things are going to go on just like normal. People are going to think, what's happening? But you're going to have a solitary few people building an ark that are in preparation for something to come. We know that only eight people were saved. There could have been millions upon the earth. There probably was at that time. And so what do they look? They say, well, you're crazy. It doesn't rain. That's not going to happen. What are you getting in the ark for? Folks, listen. The ark for the, for the believing, faith-filled, overcoming church is the testimony of the rapture. People will say you're crazy. People say you don't know what you're talking about. People say, well, what did he do? He says he labored in that for that 120 years, building that ark. But when the rains came, what happened? The door was shut. Okay? 
Now look at what it said here. After this, look, and I behold, a door was opened, as in the days of Noah. But it says, when Noah and his family entered the ark, the door was shut. Until when? It rained for 40 days and 40 nights. And so we see that's the number of the test. Until there was dryness upon the earth. Folks, it's the exact same thing that we're seeing. We're seeing this picture. And I'm, I'm kind of just touching on some things because I want to give you kind of a flavor of what we're going to be getting into on this. And just see how much scripture really talks about what, what people just fail to look at. And so we, we see this whole progression. So when that trump sounds click, the stopwatch is going to start and God is going to give them this period of time to be restored back. And so what's going to happen? Not, not unlike it did when they began to cry for a king. They're going to get a king. They're going to get this Antichrist. They're going to get this false prophet. They're going to be reintroduced to all these things. Folks, it never could have happened unless prophecy was fulfilled that said that he would once again gather his people from all the nations. Folks, do you realize from the time of the church at Ephesus period until the time of the church at Laodicea began, there was no nation of Israel? Once it was overran, and we'll get into this, I don't want to, get into, I don't want to tip it too much, overran under the feet of the Gentiles. It had been overran by the feet of the Gentiles. There was no nation of Israel for nearly 2,000 years. Until what happened? After World War II, it was established, and, and now we're looking at the tail end of that generation that, that got to see Israel reestablished. That was the last prophecy that had to be fulfilled before the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, me, I think about these things, I get excited because I know that it's any minute, man, that Trump can sound and, uh, and we're going to see the fulfillment of the things that are going to happen. So there's kind of it is. I looked and, and behold, the door was open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was the word of the trumpet talking with me said, come up hither and I will show you things which must shortly come to pass. So I hope that whets your appetite just a little bit because we're going to get, I got 25 pages of notes here just on the first chapter that we're going to be getting into the next couple of days. So look at that, look at that chapter. And I want you, here's what I want you to do. I want you to begin to pray and say, God, give me revelation on this. Let me see what John said. And, and I believe that he will. The scripture says that the Spirit of God will lead and guide you into all truth. And, and what I'm hoping that it creates in you is an expectancy, an excitement, and not only that, but an urgency to tell people, listen, make straight your paths. The Lord Jesus Christ is coming. In a moment, a twinkling of eye, we're going to be changed. He's coming back, but the only ones he's returned for is that church without spot or blemish. Folks, love you all so, so much. And we're going to be back tomorrow uh, for another edition of the Raven Institute of Ministry and Biblical Studies. Uh, looking at this fourth chapter, this rapture, the, the catching away, and uh, give you hopefully a little bit more understanding in some, uh, the premise of what's going to happen and what's going to unfold during the seven-year tribulation period God has reserved as the 70th week of Daniel. Love you guys so much. Got a bit of advice for you today. Get into God's Word. God's Word will get into you.